Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Deeper Still, a podcast where we carve out space for meaningful conversation about God and life as we seek to pay attention to the ways God calls us to go deeper still in relationship with Him and with one another. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I have the joy of being the host of this podcast, and I'm so glad, so glad that you're joining us today. Well, my friends, I am so excited to be back in the studio. We have been off for about a month, and I confess it was a nice break over the holidays. I was glad for a slower pace, but I have missed. I have missed you. I have missed recording these podcasts. I've missed seeing the faces of my guests. And so I am ready to get back at it. I am excited to be here today. And I'm especially excited because we have some amazing guests coming up in the next couple of months. I I can't wait to introduce you to them. They are going to challenge our thinking. They're going to move our hearts. They're going to change our perspectives. And that, my friends, is what Deeper Still is all about. It's this ever-present reminder that God is never done transforming who we are. And so that's why we're here. That's what we're all about. I'm excited for what God is going to do. And I just want to say, if you also are new, if you've just discovered Deeper Still and are here with us today, I'm also so glad that you found us, and I hope you'll enjoy the journey ahead. I thought, what better way to begin our year, to begin this year together, than to ground ourselves in something that is essential to the Christian life, something that Dallas Willard calls our inner stream of water, (laughs) this thing inside of us that gives us strength, direction, it gives harmony to every other element of our lives. It is the thing out of which everything else flows, and that thing is called the soul. And my friends, we need to pay attention to our soul. We need to take care of it if we are truly to live the kind of abundant and joy-filled life that God has created us for. And so I can't think of anyone better to guide us through this conversation today than someone who has dedicated much of her life, much of her career to thinking about her own soul and the souls of others. And that is the co-founder, the president of Soul Care, Mindy Caliguire. Mindy herself is a gifted soul. She is. You're going to hear from her today. She's an expert in her field. She has spent the last couple of decades speaking around the United States and beyond as she advises and trains organizations, churches, nonprofits, ministries, and individuals on ways to recognize both soul neglect and soul health. And that's something we're going to talk more about today. Mindy has served in executive leadership at organizations like Glue in the Willow Creek Association. And she is the author of three books, including Discovering Soul Care, Spiritual Friendship, and Stir, Spiritual Formation in Relationships. Mindy and her husband, Jeff, live in Boulder, Colorado on a place called Whisper Ranch. And you just have to see this place to believe it. It's so cool. It is a shared dream for a new space for being, belonging, blessing, and becoming. So I'll share some links at the end of the episode for all of these things where you can learn more today. So one caveat about today's episode, Mindy was able to join me for this interview from a conference in Florida, and I am so grateful for that. But because of the space she was in, it was unavoidable. We tried to do something different, but we picked up a lot of background noise. And my amazing sound engineer, my friend Dave, did a fabulous job trying to mitigate that noise. But honestly, we could only limit it so much. And so I confess it's a bit distracting at times. It is, but the content and the quality of Mindy's message is so good. It's so needed. It's so rich that we didn't want to lose any of it. And so we made the decision to move forward with producing and publishing this episode because we believe that God is going to use it. Like I said, it's so good. It's so rich. He can use it in spite of a few distractions. And my hope and my prayer today is that he will use it in your life as you listen through it. So thanks for the grace as we forge ahead. As always, my friends, I invite you to saddle up, to settle in and listen in as Mindy and I go deeper still. Well, Mindy, welcome to Deeper Still. It is such an honor to have you on the show today. 
Thank you. I'm delighted to be with you, of course. Well, first of all, I want to I want to tell our listeners two things. First of all, you are recording right now from this lovely cafe in um, somewhere <laughs> in Florida. I woke up to a snowstorm this morning. Okay, I had to shovel like two inches of snow oh. out of my car. Uh, <laughs> you are warm and cozy, but you're in a cafe, and so there's a little bit of background yes. noise going on behind us. But that's okay. I said to you, like that's what that's what women influencers do, right? That's what leaders do. Uh, they <laughs> they they are present to the moment wherever they're at, and so. But I would love for you to share just a little bit about why are you in Florida right now? Tell us what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, happy to. Yeah, and I am in Fort Lauderdale, and I woke up to palm trees this morning. So yeah. <laughs> We'll try not um, to not like you because of that. <laughs> well, you know that's not normally for me. But uh, yeah, I um, I'm here. There's a really beautiful uh, ministry down here uh, called Calvary uh, Chapel in Fort Lauderdale, and it's a ministry that's had a lot of really interesting history um, with some uh, pain and suffering and resilience and new life coming out of it. And I've been building a relationship with some of the leaders here for a couple of years. Uh, they invited me down for their annual missions conference, which is what's going on this week. And a lot of the people I look out, you know, there's people from Ireland and France and the Middle East, and it's really cool. So we had, they uh, gathered 50 some odd missionaries and uh, yeah, so that's been the event. And then the next two days, those missionaries and I are going up to Orlando and I get to facilitate a social retreat for them there. Yeah, I think I'm that's so amazing. Yeah, so cool the way that God uses you that way. First of all, I just love that you just talked about um you know, the global church pretty much sitting in, in front of you in this place. And it's, yeah. I think in our I and a part of this uh, you know, I'm taking a graduate class right now. Um with uh, Soon Chan Ra, and we're talking about, uh, for those of you who maybe know that name, and, and just talking about how individualized and westernized we can get in our view of God, and what a beautiful picture that is of what you're doing in this, you know, you're in the midst of the global church using your your gifts to encourage um, people who need it. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I do hope that that's the case. The, the truth is, like many leaders in lots of other contexts, um, missionaries are serving with those same pressures and demands that leaders feel everywhere, but they're often doing it in very under-resourced ways. They're doing it in conflict zones in some cases. I mean, man, there were there were I think four pastors, two entrepreneurs from Ukraine who were here, and we did a whole roundtable yesterday about how the church can partner with churches in Ukraine, and there were couples from. Italy, um, Romania, and other missionaries or church planters or whatever that all came around Ukraine. I mean, it was just, I was in, I was bawling. I was mm. absolutely bawling. It's like you, you listen to these stories. I turned to somebody at one point and I was like, what am I even doing with my life? <laughs> this is so stunning, so beautiful. Anyway, so uh, um, inspiring and beautiful and Yes, it's an honor to be with them and to cultivate some space for them to tend to the well-being of their souls. Because like many leaders and, and moms and whatever, caregivers, um, they they don't, we haven't, the church hasn't generally given us a good rationale for why we should stop the insanity every once in a while and make sure we're caring for our own souls in the midst of it. Because we just don't, that has, I mean, a lot of reasons why that's the case but the net effect of all of it is that people don't even have it as a category of something they should think about and so as a result they just go and go and go and serve and serve and serve and yeah so it's heavy mm. so that's uh that's my um that's why i'm here yeah. Yeah. It's so good. It is heavy. It's also the reason your voice is needed and the reason we're having this conversation because people don't take the time to sit back to consider it. We live in such a fragmented society and 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 to um, take time to think about your soul is something that feels like a luxury instead of a necessity, Right. I think. And so i um, so glad you're having this conversation and, and we're going to get into that. I want you to kind of unpack what is the soul. And, you know, we might have people listening today that are like, I don't you know, this is so ambiguous. I'm not even sure what you're talking yeah. about. But yeah. before we do that, 
uh, would love for you to just back up and share a little bit of your own story of, um, gosh, you have done, you have done so many things throughout the course of your life. And yet there, there came a moment, um, when you had to decide that the soul was important in the midst of all things. And I would love to hear a little bit about that journey of what brought you to this place. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to share it. Um, I had done a lot, as, as you said, I've done a lot more since because this was a long time ago now, but I, we were, I had been in marketplace. We had been, I had served as a volunteer in a church uh, where, while my husband was in seminary, but really we, the, the crucible came when uh, we were in Boston for 10 years and we're church planting there. And in that context, uh, you know, I just did what made sense to me, which was keep pushing harder and harder and harder, right? Like lead as many small groups as you need to, to get the job done, run the back end of the church, try to support, you know, your husband and family and their needs. And uh, the last person on that list is always you. And I remember, you know, looking in the mirror sometimes in the bathroom and being like, do you even know who you are anymore? Like, do you know what you care about? Do you know what makes you laugh? Do you know any of those things? And I kind of thought that was maybe a selfish question. Like, I, I didn't even, does it matter? I mean, we're saved. We should just get on the business of helping other people enter into a relationship with God and and the phrase that we would often say, like back in the like, 80s, is dating here, but people would say, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather burn out than rust out. And it's like, well, why are those the only two options? <laughs> you know, um, granted, yeah, we don't want to rust out from, from not getting used meaningfully in God's purposes, but burning out is not a good solution either. And so, um, yeah, so anyway, I, it was midway through those eventual 10 years in Boston that I had a complete collapse of my health and neurological you know, system, optic nerve was doing bad things. And as a result, I was just sidelined from my life for a number of months and just super sick and did not know the worst part of it. Like, I think many of us can endure almost anything, right? But when you don't know if it's going to get better, when you don't know what it is, that, 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 was, that was the worst. And I, I thought I'm going to end up in an insane asylum. Like I couldn't see straight. I couldn't walk a straight line. I couldn't read or write or watch television or videos. or I mean, I couldn't do anything but laying in bed and miserable. And so... Anyway, that, that was a very breaking season of what I think of as kind of forced rest. And as a result of that time, I started asking God a lot of questions about, you know, what gives. <laughs> I was like, hey, I'm on mm-hmm. your team. I'm doing all this great work. What, you know, this is, <laughs> I was telling God, this is not strategic. This is not, you know, think <laughs> of all the things that are not getting done. I know, Zuan, it's hilarious. I was telling God this was not strategic. And I, um, I know, I know, hilarious. And, and as you know, gradually over time, obviously I I have healed. I had a really bizarre form of vertigo Um, and praise Jesus. It never returned. And, you know, I don't, we don't fully understand all of what happened at that time, but I, I finally went to go see a counselor um, because I started to really spiral emotionally and the neurologist said to my husband, like, if she starts to really diminish emotionally, it's going to impact her ability to heal physically. So you should probably get her some emotional support. So I go to, you know, precious Dr. Lombardi. I think there were only three Christian therapists in all of New England. And one of them happened mm-hmm. to live in walking distance from my home. And so, which was good because I couldn't drive. So I, I would get to Dr. Lombardi's and you know after the first session or during the first session I said a little bit about the you know my family of origin and the first few years of our church planting experience in Boston and he said well maybe I can't speak from a 
physiological perspective of what's actually going on in your body, um, but it would appear from a psychological perspective you have forced out of your body what could never come out of your mouth, which is the word no. Mm. No, I can't do that one next thing. No, I can't do, I can't fix that, solve that, whatever. And um, anyway, that, that, that and many other things brought me on a very um, uh, hard but welcome journey on learning to care for my soul as the first and primary responsibility that I had, almost with having to learn a fair amount of disregard about all the other things I felt so very responsible for. Mm. And that's hard. That's hard. When you're used to being like super reliable, super responsible, super the one that holds things together, and you can't hold anything together anymore, and then you become convinced that actually the one thing you have to hold together is you and your soul needs to be rooted in God's active presence with you, not just rooted in theological concepts about God, which is a very different thing. But I didn't know that at the time. So God just graciously took me on a journey of mentors and authors and uh, people who helped me find a different way of life that I came to think of as like I needed to learn how to care for my soul. And now in hindsight, I mean, I, I see in scripture things that I never saw before. I see the importance of the soul, not as this little thing that gets saved like a little light switch and just gets flipped on. It's not an inert little toggle switch. Your soul is, you know, biblically is, a, is basically your whole life. It integrates and holds together all the things, not just a little thing that gets you through the pearly gates when you die, you know, that's saved somehow. But that's, in my experience, the only time we talk about the human soul is with reference to its eternal destiny. Like souls are saved or unsaved, they're lost or found. And then once you're saved or found, then we don't talk anymore about how is your soul. How is your soul. You know, so many profound things you said in that story. First of all, I just want to say thank you for being um, just so honest and vulnerable about that phase in your life. Because I think that's something, especially as um, leaders, or you know what, even uh, as Christians, I should say, as leaders, and then as Christians, and then whether it's as as parents, as employees, as whatever it is, it's it's hard for us to admit when we're struggling, especially when we want to we want the rest of the world to think we have it all together. And you know, there's so much talk about mental health today, and, and being able to say it's okay not to be okay. Yeah, I think you just articulated in your story because I think what happens is people feel ashamed that they're not okay. They feel ashamed that they can't do it all. They think there's something wrong with them. And so you just articulated in just a really beautiful way and gave permission. I hope people that are listening that they just are reminded it's okay. It's okay to say I'm not okay and I can't do all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and it's okay to get on a path to becoming okay. (laughs) And becoming okay isn't about your achievements. It isn't about whether your laundry's all done and folded. It isn't about whether your closets are organized or your um, bank account reads a certain way. Like, that's what the world tells us makes life okay. It's when you're successful, beautiful, when you have all the things. Like, that's just not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of the kingdom. And we have many times unthinkingly uh, co-opted that version of okay and it's made us very not okay (laughs) because that's not the way of life that's not where real life is and jesus knows that he invites us into a different way um but i i hope people i hope people get to a point of saying my life isn't working and following the way of Jesus can actually help me recover that life. Not not believing certain, I mean, you know, I was a part of crew growing up, like the four spiritual laws, right? It's like, it's like if you've got the four spiritual laws and you've got the main message, and those are our important truths. I'm not diminishing that, but those truths are not the same as the invitation to life that God gives us right here, right now, moment by moment, day by day. 
And that, that presumes sort of the reality of those truths, but it extends beyond intellectual assent, which is where I think often we think the, the, the project is done is when we get ourselves or other people to a point of intellectual assent. But the, the true pearl of great price, the thing that's worth everything is our soul connected to the real life presence of the living God right here, right now, no matter what. And that's worth everything. And that's, Amen. that's when we are fundamentally okay. Even if all hell is breaking loose around us. That's right. That's right. Let's unpack this a little bit. So, you know, when we talk about the idea of the soul, that it's a little ambiguous for people. You know, what is yeah. that? You have your mind, you have your heart, you have your, you know, what is what is the soul? And then I'm going to add another question on top of that. Yeah. When you talk about this way, like the the way that Jesus throughout the scriptures invites us into this abiding presence with him as part of that, what does that look like? So, talk a little bit about those things. What is the soul and what's our biblical framework surrounding that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the best ways to start a conversation about the soul from a biblical perspective is to think about what I've come to think is possibly one of the most famous rhetorical questions in all of history. <laughs> I know that's a big statement, but you know, Jesus in Matthew 16 uh, asks this famous question, how could you benefit if you gained the whole world before you your soul? It's kind of like what we're talking about being okay or not okay. It's like you gained the whole world, but you were forfeited your soul, you might look okay, but you're very much not okay. Um, and often in the context that I've grown up in, again, that that was a, an evangelistic appeal. It was like, you said a, a, a verse like that to someone who was not in a relationship with God. You would say, don't chase after worldly fame and fortune and miss eternity with God is kind of what, how we would uh, frame that verse. And, uh, you know, a couple things since my own implosion and recovery, which was not a very intellectual pursuit. Um, I had deep faith in God, but I wasn't, it was just a, a crash. <laughs> um, but the, I've, I've, I've looked new with new eyes at scripture. And so that particular one is fascinating because there's two things that we should take note of in that passage that tell us a little bit more about the soul as created by God. And the first is that if you look in Matthew 16, the top of the paragraph says who Jesus is talking to. And he is not talking to people who are considering a relationship with him. It's very clear in the text. He is talking to his disciples, not just people who are kind of following along. These were his actual disciples, which was a big deal in that day. These were like your named apprentices. These were the ones who were committed to following in your way and learning your way. And so to them, who are already in a great, strong, solid relationship, he is saying, how could you benefit if you gain the whole world before it you are soul? So what on earth could he have meant? And then the second clue that comes to us from that text is that, you know, usually in most Bibles, there's a little asterisk that, calls your attention to the bottom of the page that says the Greek word for soul, suke, E-S-U-C-H-E, from which, you know, we get our words like psychology, psyche, that kind of stuff. That Greek word translated ver in verse 26 as soul is the exact same word, suke, that in verse 25 is translated life. And this is a clue to us in the scriptures of the biblical concept of soul is not like a lot of times we want to parse it out and say oh heart soul mind strength so heart is one thing soul is another thing mind is another thing strength is another thing and dallas willard would say that is a not correct way of understanding that that was not a like you know i'm going to walk into my house and show you this is the living room the bathroom the bedroom and the hall it's like Here's the living space, it's the living room, it's the family room, it's the place we gather. It's like, it's different ways of saying the same big concept. And there are some differences, but particularly with the soul, biblically, both in the Old Testament with the word nefesh and the New Testament, the word suke, those words are, are, are often translated soul or life because the biblical concept of soul is that it is 
inextricably woven together with everything that is your personhood. It is not just this inner little toggle switch that gets flipped at salvation. It is your life. And the soul sort of holds together and integrates. Willard has written a lot about this in Renovation of the Heart and elsewhere. Uh, the soul integrates all the dimensions of your personhood. The mind, your emotions, which is part of your mind, your thoughts, your will, the spirit, heart, all these different dimensions of how we show up as humans get integrated into our full whole life and the, the the deep integrated nature of all those dimensions like what that psychologist has said to me i had forced out of my body what couldn't come out of my mouth like the stuff your body will talk right there's your body is a dimension of your life and thus a dimension of your soul and these are things that we don't usually think about so anyway that's that's how I would answer the sort of biblical imagination of soul um, that is important, I believe, for us to recover. If we're ever going to have a rationale for why care of the soul then matters with such a yes. huge priority. And then your second question, now remind me, what was your second question? <laughs> <laughs> I think you answered both of them. We said, what is the soul and what's the biblical framework around that? So you, oh, you just okay. knocked that out of the park with both of those things <laughs> so beautifully. But you know, what struck me about all of that from going back to your story and what you just said is when you were telling your story, I, the first thing that struck me was the physical, you were physically incapacitated because of what was happening in your soul. And I don't think, I think we underestimate that. I don't know that we connect those two things, but if we do, we downplay it. And so I'm wondering, Mindy, what are the, some of the things that you see as you're working with so many people? And I, you know, I appreciate you talk about soul health and soul neglect. Um, And I wonder what are some of those things that you see when the soul is neglected in a real practical way? What, What outcome of that? What does that look like for people? Yeah, and I'll do one little skip step in that as well. And just to say, because you're bringing up soul health and soul neglect, the, you know, we're in a world right now where we talk a lot about self-care as well, which I also think is an important thing. Um, But I see it as a little slightly related, different, you know, these these things are full of nuance. But um, when I'm talking about a soul that's healthy, that has been intentionally cared for, it's like, what I mean by that is a soul that is alive to God right here, right now, that is not just satisfied with, I understand an important set of theological principles about God, as important as that is, it's about the developing a way of life that keeps us attuned, open, yielded to God's active presence with us. So, that's what makes a soul healthy. And when that is as it can and should be, um, the, the soul has amazing capacities for healing, for growth, for contribution, for service, all this stuff. And when it's not, like, the system starts falling apart because the thing that's supposed to integrate all those things, the soul... Um, has lost its vital connection in real time to God. It has not, in our cases, lost, like, I, I didn't stop believing in God. I just have stopped sort of, in essence, communing with, in real time, the reality of the presence of God. So what I see, Suran, I mean, I see stuff all the time. And physical symptoms show up so many times. Let's just camp there since you brought it up. People have digestive issues. Their immune system is shot through. They've got adrenal um, fatigue. They've been pushing and running and gunning for so long. They don't even remember what it was like for their body to be at a state of peacefulness. I don't know if I said this. They've got digestive issues. They've got muscle tension headaches. They've got, um, yeah, so many things. Now, many diseases, of course, have true sort of pathological roots and i don't mean to wave you know an unnecessary confusion point on that but if you start at the headwaters of the the level of stress in our body when that starts to impact sleep and starts to impact immune immunity and how your body's designed to heal itself you open the floodgates to whatever else is going around and so it's not like an unhealthy soul causes disease what happens is that unhealthy soul 
weakens the body mm. and makes us all the more vulnerable to any number of things. You know, our bodies are fighting cancer all the time. There's cancer cells that, you know, but when we lose our capacity for that sort of, you know, some per one person called the what happens in your body at night is the third shift, like in a warehouse that just comes in to clean. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's so good. Isn't that great? When your body is asleep, that's when, by God's design, all of these systems fly into motion. And that's not apart from our spiritual life, right? So many times we're like, oh, there's your spiritual life and then there's the rest of life. Well, that's bogus. It's just your life. And our human body, your brain, is fascinating. The whole mental health thing is a very big deal right now. And rightly so. I'm very glad we're speaking about this and, and raising awareness and making invitation to, uh, to, to seek uh, medical care, therapy. All those things are really, really good. Um, the, the brain is, is, I mean, I think of it as like a... <laughs> A fancy car, like a like a Lamborghini or a McLellan or whatever it's called. I don't remember what that other fancy car is. There's like it's a high performance vehicle is your brain, and we almost seem committed to living in ways that harm the organ of the brain. Right? Like you would never take you know we all depend on our eyeballs and we're pretty aware of that. You would never walk around sticking sharp objects into your own eyeballs. That sounds disgusting to even say it. <laughs> we effectively do that to our brains all the time. Lack of sleep. Say more about water. that. How? Yeah. What are some of Yeah. Lack of that... sleep, lack of water. There's just the, the, the ways we tolerate negative thinking. I mean, when, when we were told in the scriptures to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, when we're told invited to whatever is pure, whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is praiseworthy. Like now all these neuroscientists are telling us like all that negativity just wreaks havoc on the brain. It just, we're creating these, these neural pathways. We're, we're just causing all kinds of self-inflicted trauma. If we don't have better hygiene on what we allow in between our ears and wow. we think of ourselves as almost victims of what happens to be in our mind like i feel this or i am that and it's like well you do have a little more jurisdiction especially at certain levels now truly true mental health when we get into some diagnoses that the capacities to manage our thoughts are even some of what gets destroyed that's why we need professional help. We need, and that's okay. There's no shame in that. We should pursue health. But the, the human body as it was designed to be um, needs, you know, we need protein. We need, we, I mean, there's just stuff we need. Yeah. <laughs> there's just yeah. stuff we need. So good. Well, you, you just start to realize all the layers of it. I mean, when you talk about our soul, like literally everything flows out of our soul and all of right. us being connected and you start thinking about, right. all, I mean, you could do a podcast on each one of those things and just talk about mental health, just talk about physical health, just, you know, yep. all of these things. It's, yep. it's crazy to see that picture of how connected um, all of these things actually are. I think it, ho ho I hope it gives people hope. My, 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 I experience hope when I start to understand how a system actually functions and that changes over here actually can impact the air drawing as if people can see, but like that when you make a change in one area, it actually can be supportive to very different parts of your life. Um, like most, I, I know one friend who has struggled with um, heavy, heavy weight his whole life. And I think there was some health reasons underneath that I, I've never asked the details of it, but he has, he, he has lost a significant amount of weight in the last year or two simply by focusing on his sleep. Hmm. Simply by focusing amazing. on his sleep. I, I just, I couldn't believe it when he told me that was, yeah. I was like, wow, what, what, you know, you, it's delicate. You don't want to talk like 
I'm like, I don't, I yeah. don't want to be like, Hey, what, <laughs> you know, how's this going? I mean, um, yeah. Right. I'm going to start working on that tonight. I am going to make sure I start. Please do. Hours and then, yes, please do. There is a reason. book I've read. <laughs> there is a book I read that I, uh, I, I was, cause I've been pursuing this and I've tried to understand as much as I can. So I literally met with a neuropsychologist. This guy's unbelievable. And then his whole team, like they, they hook up your head with like all kinds of monitors and then read it and they teach you new ways of breathing and or like how to be more intentional with this kind of stuff i i mean it doesn't this sound so far from the ideology but it's fascinating and this guy is a strong believer the neuropsychologist and so he sees the brain as like this huge gift from god and so how do we how do we live so that the gift we've been given can do what it's designed to do yeah anyway through his team, I read a book called Sleep Smarter. I mean, so when you want to go like understand something crazy, go read even just the introduction to this book, Sleep Smarter. <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh, what if it were that easy? <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, and then you, that's amazing. And then you go back and just realize, wow, our creator, like the fact yes. that God created us to, to live in rhythms and patterns. And, and as you said, yep. like when we sleep, our body regenerates. Like what an amazing creator God we have that he's thought of all of this. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It's yeah. all there yeah. in scripture. When you, when you sort of, when your eyes get open to this bigger picture, it's yeah. like he knows. He yeah. designed us. He wants us so to cool. flourish. And the following God is not this exasperating death march of like suffering and whatever. I mean, am I saying there's no suffering? Of course not. There is suffering in our lives. There's suffering that we cause ourselves. So let's take that off the plate as much as we can. But like there's suffering in a broken world. But Jesus didn't. Jesus said that, you know, in this world, you will have trouble, but to take heart, there is a way that we can encounter life, the trials of life in ways that we don't get crushed by the hard circumstances we find ourselves in. And we can even embrace them like these missionaries. They're all, they're voluntarily taking on really hard assignments and finding that God will meet them in their suffering. But there is there's a way of shouldering, well, the yoke of Jesus, there's a way of shouldering that, that God is the one bearing the weight. And we are not designed to do that. But thank God for the Christians throughout millennia who said, I will run in when everyone else is running out. I will run towards when everyone else is running away. I will stand for justice. I will stand. And there... It, it, we, we weren't invited into a like a, a little lazy river, you know, floating down the inner tube of, you know, of a lazy river in some like water park. We were invited to contend with this, that, literally with the energy that raised Jesus from the dead. But so many Christians are trying to do that in their own strength and their own power. And it's yes. just not enough. It's yes, never going to be enough. Not enough. That's right. Your ideas That's such are a not good, word. good enough. Your strength is not strong enough. I don't care how smart, intelligent. Yes. We need to be, yes. yeah. Find, so that's why finding a way of life, and that's why self-care, yeah, I love that. You know, you could even put sleep and exercise, nutrition, all those things sometimes in the realm. But if you really expand the idea of the body and everything of the soul, as big as it really is, then everything counts as soul care. But the thing we're mostly going for when I'm working with groups and individuals around the care of their soul is like, what are the practices, rhythms, relationships that help me stay attuned to the real time in the moment presence of God, attuned to it, responsive to it. And that's where we think of different spiritual practices and things like that, that go beyond just sleep and beyond exercise, nutrition, and taking a good bath when you need one you know like all those all those self-care things are great yeah but let's embark on those yeah without the without the intentionality of seeking the lord right now right here then it we haven't hit the main thing right right so let's let's follow that trail a little bit because i'm sure there are people listening and again, we have all kinds of people listening and they're listening and saying, "We, you're right. Yes. Yes, I agree. But 
you don't understand my life, Mindy. I have, I have four kids and I run my own company and I have emails and jobs and, and I'm leading this nonprofit and I'm, I'm, I'm volunteering. I'm doing all this stuff. Um, this is a great idea, but when do I have time to care for my soul? And what does that practically even look like? Yeah. Yeah. In a way, you know, it's the care of the soul takes all of your time and none of your time. <laughs> even as you're listening right now, you can consider that God is with you. God is within you. God is around you. God goes before you in time and space. And when we breathe, we can, in that same moment, be aware of the fact that we are immersed in the reality of the kingdom. And we can incline our hearts, as it were. We can turn or return to that ongoing relational conversation with God that, again, doesn't take any of our time and yet consumes all our time or increasingly more of our time. And so that's the one thing is I'd, I'd like to take off the table the assumption that this requires a six-month sabbatical or a five-year you know, PhD in spiritual formation or any of those things. I mean, if you can get either or both of those by all means do, but I don't have either. (laughs) I've never done either. And we have to find ways of building this life with God that fit into running a nonprofit and our own business and having, you know, four kids under the age of 10 and all those things. Like if it doesn't work there, then it doesn't work. It has to work for everyone everywhere. Now, there may be times in our life that under the guidance of the spirit, we do need to set down some of those things. Like maybe, just maybe, I know I did. I'll start with me. I have said yes to things that were not invitations from the spirit. I have said yes to things that were about my inability to say no. I've said yes to things that were about people pleasing. I've said yes to things that that I felt like I was a martyr. It's nobody else is going to do it. I, I mean, I can, I can, uh, I can give you a long litany of terrible reasons I've said yes to things, and and then blame God for it. <laughs> like it's <just> a possible <laughs> situation that you know, I, 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 I do think I've gotten my wires crossed more than once, and I'm sure. Maybe somebody listening has can relate to that. Maybe maybe there are things in your life that are making it unsustainable that you need to reevaluate and radically rearrange your life to get back into a rhythm that is sustainable. So that may be the case because I don't I don't want to give people a crutch of ways of connecting with God that just allows them to keep living a life that they never should have been doing anyway. But we have right. to get to a point where we're walking in discernment on that stuff. I don't think it's logical. Like I, I think very strongly that none of us can look at somebody else's pace of life or even our own apart from the guidance of the spirit uh, and just make judgments of this is too much, that's not enough. We, we, we're so judgy. We, we just we relish the chance to tell somebody or ourselves what we're doing right or wrong. And that's unhealthy. It's not, it's not spirit-guided. And I think one of the most dangerous things we do is, is try to self-diagnose or, God forbid, diagnose somebody else. They, in, in 12 Steps, they call it taking somebody else's inventory. It's like, it's not mine to take your inventory. I take my own inventory, um, but the, do you know what I mean by that metaphor? Well, and yeah, and it's always, it's, it's always easier to take someone else's inventory, right? Oh, <laughs> than your own. Oh, it's always, God. it's always easy to see how someone else needs to set more boundaries or, or reshape their life than it is to turn the mirror on ourselves and say, oh, wait, wait, it's, I have, I have some hard work to do. Yeah. And the hard work we have to do is before God lay out all the things and say, Am I getting this right, God? Is this is is every single one of these a thing that you've asked me and invited me into? And if so, then you're going to have to show me some way of doing it all that isn't obvious just yet. And I'm happy to grow. I'm happy to learn. Um, but we may 
upon doing that, have, you know, the spirit kind of spark our imagination, like, oh, that one, that one, there's a, a writer that calls it, that we, we make decisions very much in a heady space out of, you know, an obligation or a sense of, you know, wanting to be recognized or who knows why we say yes. But, and again, this doesn't apply to a mother of four who's just scrambling around trying to get the baby in a clean diaper and the fourth graders homework done, right? It's not, it's not like there's a whole lot of discretionary stuff in there. And so there's a ton of, you know, but I had to, I mean, I definitely had to let go of, you know, the laundry just does not need to get all done. And the kitchen does not need to be, you know, spotless every time somebody walks through it. And my life with God and me sitting on the couch writing in my journal while the kitchen is a mess matters a whole lot more to my future, to the purposes of God in our day, and to my ability actually to truly love my family than those kitchen dishes being done. And so we, we bear a lot of burdens that, I don't know, maybe it's the voice of our mother or grandmother or somebody else that's not the voice of the spirit saying, you don't get to sit down and just write in your journal because like the laundry isn't done and the Christmas shopping isn't done and there's 8,000 things that are never going to be done. And what we have to do is prioritize the, in my view, what we have to do is prioritize the well-being of our soul, whatever it takes. And I don't, I, maybe it's writing in a journal, maybe it's getting out to the health club, maybe it's, but whatever keeps us alive to God is what we must pursue. Because once that, as Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And yeah, he meant it. <laughs> yeah. And you know that, that, that analogy is so good because it translates into so many areas because you look at our work lives today and our phones and we're, we're accessible all the time. And, and I know for me, you know, I get a text on my phone at 10 o'clock at night from someone at work and I feel like I should answer it, you know, or, and not that that happens that much in my workplace, but you know, things like that, you just feel like you always need to be accessible. And, and I've just learned, you know, I'm in, I'm in seminary right now at the same time I'm working full time. And I just thought, you know, my whole life, I could spend every week moment just doing work in school. But what that is oh, not yeah. good for my soul. <laughs> and so there nope. are certain things that need to, I'm going to say, you know what, I probably should be doing these X amount of things right now, but I'm going to intentionally make the choice to shut this down. And maybe that thing doesn't get good, doesn't get done as well as I would like it to, or as on time as I would like it to, but I'm going to make the choice to care for myself or my family or my 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 relationships, my friendships. You know, I I tell my friends, I'm like, if I have one friend standing when I'm done with seminary, I will I will praise the Lord because of of, of how 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 many times I've had to say no, but yet I've also had to learn when to choose to say yes to those life giving things, um, and let the other stuff not get done because of what is good for my soul and my relationship with the Lord. And that's that's hard. That's like an intentional choice every single day. Yeah. And I'm proud of you for making it because you are holding a lot of things that really, really matter. Your own life, wow. your family, your responsibilities at the church, the future of the impact of your education. Like how is that going to shape what contributions you have yet to make? But we all know stories of people who essentially, even in Christian context, gain the whole world and forfeit their soul. Yes. And yes. that's like, yeah, I remember even when I went to college, you're making me wonder if I, I was predisposed to some of this thinking earlier in life. I went to a really demanding university for school, and uh, and I remember consciously deciding I wanted to graduate with a, a B average and a life, <laughs> but I was yeah. fine not getting straight A's. Like, I didn't care. Like, who cares? <laughs> so, so good. Maybe Maybe that's my view of of laundry and dishes as well. But it's yeah. like yeah. that there's things that matter so much more than your countertops. There's things that matter so much more even than like a syllabus. I'm sorry, any college you go to or university or, or higher learning and, and your degree program that you're in right now. Do you read every single thing that's on your syllabus? I can't. I've given up there's trying no way. to. There's no, no way. I, I say my professors are... are I don't know what world they live in to think that I can do all of this. Not yours. No, it's ridiculous. And so it's like early on, you have to start deciding what's yes. the most important to get to the level of accomplishment that I think is most important here. And 
you know, those, those decisions we make in every area of our life. Um, but I can give you a simple framework that I've been building a lot lately for people who are going, okay, yeah, but what do I do? How do I care for myself? Yes, what's the, please. you know, what are some, what's a frame? And so this is a framework that is, I hope, easy for you to remember, guys, and to think through um, really practically. Because I love that you mentioned um, your friendships. The idea of um, how, how to make sure you can care or stay in a place of a healthy soul or recover the health of your soul if necessary uh, is you need a page, a person, and a plan. Those are the three things that I kind of group them all in one. So you just need a page, a person, and a plan. And what I mean by that is on the page one, we all, I believe, function best and grow in our, as humans, when we develop our capacity for reflection. So when I say page, I mean like writing in a journal. And there's even a bunch of neuroscience around the value of writing and it slows you down to the level of handwriting. It slows your brain down. And I know not everybody, you know, some people love to journal, some people love to hate journaling. Um, but bear with me. The, I think even our leadership will hit a ceiling if we do not develop a capacity for and a lifelong commitment to building reflection into our lives. Who am I? How am I behaving? Why am I reacting this way? What's going on around me? Where am I noticing God? All those all those questions we ask ourselves in the safe, non-judgmental place of a journal uh, really matters. So a page, you got to build reflection into your life. The second is the person. And I love hearing you say that about friendships. Do not let go of your friends. <laughs> um, I believe this is one of the primary ways that God breathes life into our souls is through relationships. And when we even if we find ourselves very isolated as again, many missionaries, many people in leadership often do. That's why a ministry peer who's outside of your context can really matter or um, a therapist, a counselor, a spiritual director, a coach, any of those modalities or just a friend, a spiritual friendship where you're intentional about building the kind of relationship that helps both of you stay open to aware of, and, and responsive to God's activity in your life. Those kinds of relationships are vital. They're absolutely vital. And um, I, I don't think that caring for your soul just means you spend hours and hours in solitude by yourself. So page, a person. And the third one is a plan. This is where we kind of tuck in this more holistic understanding of all the dimensions of personhood. And some uh, people would think of it as a rule of life or a rhythm of life or a way of life, but it's like, what's the intentionality you're bringing around the structure of your days? You know, there's a lot of people helping us understand that we are, we are um, a product of our environment more than we probably want to admit. The people we're around, the routines we create, the, the level of chaos or not that surrounds us in an office or a workspace or whatever and uh, and so when we are intentional about structuring our environment for peacefulness, for rest, for um, you know vacation, <laughs> time away, you know all those things when we are intentional um, and we can bring those that intentionality against the you know, sort of there's a lot of research around these five dimensions of flourishing, the Harvard Flourishing Project and couple other folks that are contributing into it but it's you know it's our physical and mental health it's our relational health our vocational health our financial health and yes our spiritual health and all of those things matter and so not to be overwhelmed by that huge list but it's like we need a page we need a person and then whatever whatever is the right two or three things that you want to be intentional about structuring your life for that's the side of the plan. And I'm finding that that's a simple enough framework that it's memorable and I hope actionable that people can take some next steps. To it. But that's, that's what we're working with. And we have that is awesome. Yeah. If I, people I want know. to join we our online community. 
Yes, I am going to point people to all of that. We haven't, t- we haven't talked oh, about all the resources on Good. your website, your online community, yeah. spiritual, uh, your coaching, spiritual direction. There's so many things. You're working with organizations. You're you're doing it at all yep. levels. And so I'm going to point people to Soul Care to oh, make great. sure they can find yeah. all those things. But a page, a person, and a plan. Wow. I mean, that, like you said, that speaks to everybody. That's doable. That's simple. That is like, I can, I can do that. Right. Everyone's sitting here, no matter what your life looks like, it's okay. Wait, I can do that. So that's, that's so helpful. It's so helpful. and so good. I I can even think, you know, it's like, you don't need a big leather bound journal with a fountain pen. (laughs) There are times I remember like, especially early on in my journey with soul care, that I, I would find myself like having a really strong emotion about something. And I I've often am not very good at expressing that kind of stuff. And so I remember um, literally tearing a sheet out of like a, a, some other notebook. Like I didn't have a journal with me. I didn't have anything. And I like sat in my car for an extra two minutes between whatever I was doing and literally paused to write down, like, this is what I'm feeling right now. This is what's going on right now. And I'm sure I threw it away. It's not like it's some tucked away for somebody to read someday. God forbid, nobody read my journals. Like it, it's like, <laughs> but it, honestly, Suhan, it helped. It helped to pause, reflect, write it down, and then move into the rest of my day sort of with that off my shoulders, you know? And it's like, yes. that's how life can be. That's how our life with God can be. Yes. Very in the moment. Well, and that's such what, a beautiful, I, I mean, yeah, and such a beautiful picture of, of what it looks like to abide in the presence of God, to be with God in a hectic, busy moment, but to choose God and to be present to Him in a really simple but really profound way. And so uh, I think you're giving people some great handles. So thank yeah, you for so. that. Mindy, we are, almost, we are almost out of time, but I have to ask you one last question. Um, it's my deeper still question. I ask every single person that comes on the, on the show um, you know, part of the heartbeat behind Deeper Still is the fact that we really believe that, you know, God has never done with us. This whole conversation has been about that. God has never done with us. Just when, just when we think maybe we've arrived at one point in our life, He challenges us because just when we think, and we, you know, maybe we think I'm going to go deeper, and He goes, uh uh-uh, uh, you actually need to go deeper still. And so I would love for you um, to share one place in your life right now where God is calling you, Mindy Caliguire, to go deeper yeah, still. Yeah. Yeah, I I would say it's sort of in that plan dimension for me, and I um, I have recognized that I've stepped out of some organizations that I have been part of in the past that provided a fair amount of structure to my planning and accountabilities and that kind of stuff. And when you move out into an entrepreneurial, like more on your own, you have a team of people, but from an accountability standpoint, you're sort of making it up as you go, <laughs> which my team, I'm sure, knows. Uh, but, um, I, I am building back into my life and I can't wait. Like I had to set this meeting a month or two ago and my first meeting with this guy is next Tuesday and I'm so excited. And he, he's like, does leadership coaching, but he's also like a therapist that's used to working with high level leaders. And also let's just be honest, it's not always easy to be a woman in senior leadership. And so he is like cool with that and helps ministry leaders that are navigating being a woman in senior leadership and all that other stuff. So I'm like, Oh, please just get me to Tuesday morning. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited, but I am, I, I, I think that is going to take me deeper still. I hope I'm counting on it. The, The things I'm feeling called to like, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go into the future with the tool set that got me to today. I, I want to be growing into what's coming and what's happening. And so um, I'm just so grateful to have, uh, it was a mentor of mine who I was expressing frustration about a particular goal in my life that I hadn't met, like probably back in October. And he's like, you got to find somebody you need help. And I was like, shoot, you're right. <laughs> so I've been in pursuit of that. And my first meeting is on Tuesday. So stay tuned. Oh, well, congrats. <laughs> that is very exciting. That is, you know, I love that you started us out 
with some vulnerability and you're ending with some vulnerability of this place of just realizing no matter how much work you've done in this area, we are, we are never done. And that's just such a, such a great example of your person and your plan. Um, and to just be really yes. intentional about how God is continuing to use you. So Mindy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Um, to just share your story and encourage our listeners today to take care of their souls. I so appreciate you and all the good work that you're doing. Thanks, dear. And it's an honor to be with you and everyone who's joined us. So thanks for listening, everyone. Well, friends, thanks for hanging in there. Thanks for sticking with us today. I hope by the end of the episode, the only thing that you could hear is the wisdom that Mindy was pouring out on all of us. I know I needed to hear what she had to say. I hope God uses it in your life as well as we journey together towards soul health and what that can look like for each and every one of us. If you want to learn more about Mindy and the important work that Soul Care is doing, I can't encourage you enough to visit soulcare.com, where you'll find information on spiritual direction, on leadership coaching, and all kinds of other resources that can benefit not only you individually, but it can benefit your leadership team, your organization, your nonprofit, your church, as we journey towards soul health together. I'd encourage you especially to check out their online community called Soul Care Collective, it is completely free and it is an online community for living and leading from soul health. Be sure to check that out. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Deeper Still. I can't wait to be with you again, but until then, be sure to pay attention to your soul, my friends, and go in God's grace as he calls you to go deeper still. <laughs>